0: You're listening to the premier podcast network.
1: Hey friends, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to tell you about my friends out at the 10th ward barbershop in downtown Pittsburgh, Proudly serving the historic 10th Ward in Lawrenceville and the surrounding areas. 10th Ward Barbershop is a full service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. I can attest to this personally. I went down there to see my buddy Kane today. He shaped me up oh so nicely. Gave me a laser beam part in the top of my head. I look fantastic. And he didn't take a ton of time to. He is literally the best that I've ever gone to. Trust me when I tell you that. But you also don't have to take my word for it as much as I want you to. WWE superstars like Bray Wyatt and Corey Graves have all stopped in to see Kane at his barbershop and they will tell you the exact same thing. Now, right now, as much as they like having walk-ins during COVID time, they're only accepting appointments. So the best way for you to get in to see Kane or any of the other fantastic staff at their shop is to go right onto their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and sign up for an appointment. That's 10th one zero T H You can find them down here in downtown Pittsburgh, stop in and see Kane and tell him that Goober sent you. Peace and good morning, world. Welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Bernard, and thank you so much again for joining me on this lovely Tuesday morning. Before we get started on the show today, I want to give a quick shout out to my buddies Ron and Alex Stud over at Between Two Studs. I had a chance to sit down and have an interview and conversation with them, uh, which actually just airs today, as you're hearing this episode. You'll hear it later on today in the feeds. I'll also be posting that episode as a bonus piece of content on this feed as well, so you can check them out. I really enjoyed getting a chance to sit down with them and telling some really wild stories, and I think you will. Will too. Today, I got a chance to sit down with my dear friend Dan Colon. Currently, he's working in California for NBC Universal. This dude's got the dream job. He's also got a really incredible backstory, one that I really felt like I wanted to share on the show here and give you a chance to peek inside of his world and see how far he's come and why I consider him not only one of my closest friends, but an inspiration to my own life to live it better. Dan reminds me every day that anything is possible. I will forever be at awe of Dan's willingness and ability to get the job done in spite of everything possibly going wrong at any given time. Dan Colon is a really incredible person and I'm so excited to bring you his story. Friends, let's welcome Dan Colon to the show.
2: Brother. what's going on man oh my god i feel like i'm back on uh foundation radio with me uh, radio station
1: <laughs> you just you don't have the uh, you don't have the generic dj in the no soundboard anymore DJ. i can see the sunshine like i'm sitting here in cold or yeah. Pitts, pittsburgh right now it just snowed like there was a random snowstorm again that happened well, that's what everybody's like. Oh, these these all the people I work with, they're all like, you know, oh, this this snow doesn't happen all the time. And it's so random for this to happen. It's snowed like four or five times since we've been here, like and big snow, too. Really? And it's just like, what the fuck? But I can see that beautiful L.A. sunshine coming in your window right now. How is uh, how is it out there? What's what's doing in Los Angeles?
2: And I don't know if I should. It was 88 degrees today. No, <sighs> I'm cold is because I hadn't had to turn my heater on and my fans been on. Look that's at you! You're,
1: you're wearing your jacket, your jean jacket. What the fuck, man? You are you are L.A. personified right now.
2: <laughs> so that's why that's why. Like I remember because I had a coworker when I was in New York that was wearing boots and stuff like that. And yeah, it yeah. Makes sense because the seasons don't change here, you'll never be able to really wear stuff like that. So it was crazy how they put their ensemble together. But when you live here, it makes sense. There's right. never there's only one season really.
1: <laughs> now, did you ditch all your like Philly hoodies when you went out there? You were like, "Oh
2: man, fuck this!" Oh that's my god, it's so funny because um. When i got this job my dad was like listen man this is the big show you know senior analyst like it's got to be done right and i only had a certain amount because i took the job but i'd never been to the west coast i didn't know anyone in the west coast i didn't know where i was gonna live and i could what i did was i shipped my car and packed up the trunk in the back seat and i was like dad i don't know what stuff to take he's like you got to take the the dress clothes so I came here and I moved, and like a couple days into the job, I realized that the Southern vibe is way more chillax than the New York vibe. So coworkers are like, "Oh, he's he's not happy with his job. He's going for a job interview and like stuff like that." Me oh, eye so eye. they
1: thought they thought because you were wearing a suit, they they didn't realize that like they thought yeah, you were thought was for,
2: like yeah wow. yeah, and I was wow. like, oh snap! Yeah. It's like you know I was so used to that New York mentality, and I I totally got what my dad was saying, and I was like, yeah. yeah. So, you work now for NBC, right? Yeah, I started with them in 2016. And I was just outside of New York and I came back from Carolina. And uh, so, I was a global client up. So, I was just selling, helping distribute content that was selling to various partners domestically and internationally. And then, you know, that's like a a culture shock right there because I was in the South and Southern hospitality and all that stuff. And New York is very, I think like my yeah. second or third day, I was like, I'm going to go to grad school. And I called Dr. Thompson. I'm like, I'm, I, I can't do this.
1: <laughs> I remember having those conversations with you about New York City. Like you were concerned about being there. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. You know,
2: like, look, we, we've we spent,
1: I mean, you more than me, but we spent a lot of time in Philadelphia. We know how the fuck it goes. We know what we need to do. I know.
2: But like, when man, when we were, met, I was like, okay, this guy knows exactly what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> Yo, it's yeah, it's like it's either you have it or you don't, right? Like you just right, you know yeah. right away. And like I'm I didn't grow-
2: that photo, I have that photo right now where the day we first met.
1: Oh no, he, shit! He, he, That's crazy, today. man. That's crazy. I. It's like, and I didn't grow up in Philly, but like I grew up enough around Philly and in the area where it's like you learn. Right. Like you just know. And again, it's like either and and anybody that's from Philly that's listening to this gets it like you either know it or you don't and you can't explain it. It's just there. But like, okay, so my so I'll tell you this. Well, I knew why you were concerned about going to New York. So the first time I ever went to New York City, when I went to lower Manhattan, I was in high school. It was uh, 2002. It was like six or seven months after 9-11 happened. We were on a photography trip. And my dumbass, I'm, you know, you know how it is in South Philly. Like, you just walk across the street. If a car's coming, it doesn't fucking matter. You just walk across the street. The jaywalking doesn't exist in, North, in South Philly. So yeah. here I am, like an idiot, thinking that everyone's going to stop for you in New York City. Yo, man, them fucking taxi cabs were flying down a road, man. My teacher grabbed me by my bag that I had and pulled me back and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I was crossing the street. He's like, you can't do that in New York. So I learned, like, you can't play South Philly traffic in New York City, man. And it's like, it is a totally different world. So, like, I can't even imagine a culture shock, not even going from North Carolina, but going from yeah. Philly to New York. My
2: orient, My orientation day, I wasn't sure if I was in the right building. And I never watched the show 30 Rock. I didn't know what 30 Rock was. And uh, I went around and I was at a side door. And I took my time. And, and this this girl, you know, cussed me out. And I was like, dang, like, all right, let me hurry up. Fast forward, I'm in the elevator with the same person that just cursed me out, and like, like nothing. I don't think she ever looked at me when she cursed me out, and like, whatever. And oh, then she, she went, and I went to the orientation. Floor. <laughs> that was my first like orientation. I was like, oh no,
1: God, dude, I can't even imagine. And it's just, and I know before that you were working with NASCAR, and I know that was a big deal for you because we worked together yeah. as colleagues, and and I know it was a really difficult decision. And I, oh, and I know, I remember. I, I remember sitting there thinking and I remember talking to you as much as like as selfishly as I wanted you to stay in Westchester. I was like, bro, you got to take this job like you have to take this job because it's going to lead you. It's going to take you to that next level where you've been working through your entire life and and just getting to know you through college, right? Like I I felt like you always had this really sort of unique story but not really unique because it's like it's like a come up story you know what i mean like it's like the classic come up story but like i just feel like it's so dope you know like it's such a cool story to hear you talk about and i and i was really wanted to you know help tell your story on the show because i think yeah i think i think it it it's so important for people to hear stories like this because i feel like you could inspire You know, not not just not just because you've inspired me, but you can inspire anybody who might be listening to this, who might be on the same track or might feel the same way you did. You know, I think the best way to sort of start this story is to talk about the time you, Courtney, and I were in a car. Um, I think it was probably like 2011, I think. And I think we were either at Wawa or we were somewhere getting some sort of food. And we saw this dude outside and he was wearing like Echo clothing. I don't know if you remember this. But this dude is wearing Echo clothing like it was big, baggy jeans, like straight out of 2003, right? That that unlaced Timberlands, them big, oh, baggy jeans. You, start, you know what the fuck oh, I'm talking about, man. Yeah, and a big, uh-huh. the big shirt. And Courtney goes, wow, that guy's – I forget. she said something like that guy's style is really out. And you were just like quietly – I don't know if you were texting or you just like you, – you were like, nah, that dude just got out the pen. Yep. Courtney was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? She was like, yeah. nah, look at them threads. That shirt's from 2000, the collection, and whatever it was, 2002, them jeans right there are from 2001, and those boots haven't probably been laced up in about 15 <laughs> years. I guarantee you that guy just got out of a bid. Probably 10 to 15, just got out of a bid. And it went right back to what you were doing, and Courtney looked at me, and she was like, well, how does how does oh, yeah. Danny know this? And I was like, go ahead, tell her, you know? And like it's, yeah. just, like, it's just such a wild story. So tell me, like, growing up, like, how
2: did it, how
1: did it start for you? Like, where's the genesis of Dan Cologne? Like, where did it, where did Man. it start?
2: So um, to get back to how I knew that it was, I had relatives that got locked up, but also to a way to make money was like, I had friends that would get locked up or like they needed money, like bail money or they needed to like get by. So I knew like just giving cash, I'd never get it back. So what I used to do is uh, I used to hold on to Jordan's, Nike, Dunks, Air Max's as, as clients collateral and if so if they didn't pay me back I got to keep the sneakers so that's how I definitely know you know when stuff like that would happen but it was my way because it's like I'm not making that much money and like I was on my own already like, right that was my way to kind of like but that's how I knew it was just like whatever they had in the bag when they went in that's what, what they came money. out with yep <laughs> yep <laughs> that's,
1: that's what they really- took it that's what they came out with Yep. exactly <laughs> that's it was like it was I think Courtney was just like I don't know if she was surprised or if she was just like I guess because I say shit all the time that surprises are like, how did you know that? Like, oh yeah, you go yeah. to Kim's down and you go well, to Kim's just, down in Huntingdon and, and
2: Kensington and get your your hair faded for five bucks. Hand. You know, that that bag was the was the giveaway when the bag yeah. said at all because I was like, I know that bag and the way he he was using the payphone, I was like, he doesn't have a phone, so like they're gonna come pick him up from here. Someone's was, yeah, he
1: oh. literally he literally just got out, and yeah. I know like. Yeah. That Wawa in Westchester, right on Gay Street, there is a hub for everybody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like it's like Grand Central Station in, in Westchester. But um, yeah, I mean, so to so sort of start me off here, man, how did um, how yeah. did life begin for you, man? What was it? What
2: was it like growing up for Dan? Honestly, it was it was kind of bad, but you know, now it's like, oh man, I can't believe I was so hard on myself because I, I didn't know one day I. I became an adult and I look back and I honest to God, there's half the things I, I don't even know who that person was. So it's like a mix where I just wanna beat the crap out of myself. And then at the same time too, I just wanna shake that guy's hand cause I don't understand why you're just so going headstrong, not asking for help and stuff like that. Because my mom had me when she was 20, she already had my older brother. And my dad, my biological father left when I was a couple of weeks old. So my mom was already against it. And like, I remember she was was telling me like I was in diapers and nothing else because she had no clothes, no money for clothes and stuff like that. And then uh, when I was three, my brother was four. They had to put us in daycare and it was just like someone's house because my mom had to work. And uh, from the ages of three to five, because we didn't know anything about preschool, my mom couldn't afford like, you know, that type of care. She was just beating the crap out of us tree branches, heels, belts, like all types of stuff. And then when my brother was five, I was four, I had to go back and it was even worse because I I would cling to my older brother. And, you know, I didn't know it was wrong until I was like 16 or 17 because at home I was getting beat and then you know so so it's like oh that's just what's supposed to happen
1: it's just the and, life yeah it's the
2: it's that yeah. idea
1: yeah so like so where about in philadelphia did you did you grow up like what what section
2: i grew up in the kensington hospital i was born there where uh that was and then the first place i really remember was uh being cambria on orm street okay. that's where um i know my mom was somewhere else not too far but then we were there my grandma was on b street and then from that then we moved to the boulevard and then I moved to near Franklin Harbison, which was more of the Northeast. And then, you know, yeah. that was like, uh, that's where you met some cool kids. And then that's where we met some racist kids. Cause like when I was growing up 92, that was when segregation really started happening. Like I remember down the way you would see Italians, Irish, but they were kind of split. So everyone had their own way. Right. So I didn't know Spanish, so I couldn't hang out with the Puerto Rican kids and I looked white, but the white kids knew I was Puerto Rican, so I couldn't hang out with those kids. So I hung them out with oh, the Black- Oh, so you were, you were like a
1: loner. You were like yeah. a loner right off the bat. So, Man, that's
2: crazy. And now I was what's... really short. I'm the shortest of all my uh, siblings except my sister. So, so you
1: know. what's it? So like, I guess paint me a picture of what it would be like on, on B street, like as a kid, what, what would I, like, take me through, th- take, just kind of help me paint a picture for somebody who's listening to this. Like what, what is
2: B, what is B street like? Kids, kids, like, even for me, like we, we you really don't know what's around you. And I remember we just always went to leave the front yard and my mom wouldn't let us. And every once in a while, some crazy shit would happen. Like my uncle's friends got killed down the corner um what happened so, was it a, like a drive-by or something I, to this day i don't know because i was so young but like there'll right. always be like something happening like it was funny one time i was in our grandmom and stuff around there was even worse because i think I, I mean i forgot where it was that, that things were happening but like shots would happen people would scatter and a couple minutes later everyone would come right back wow but and we, that was like daily yeah. life that yeah was like daily so, life me and my brother would go with my grandma most weekends and we knew we, we better not say anything because if we tell her mom and dad that something happened right near the house, she'll never let us come back again. And my grandma was with it too. And, um, we got robbed a couple of times. There was one time, uh, something I always remember was, uh, two, uh, someone came through like the chimney and my mom came down and, uh, we're, we're all barefoot. We're running down the steps. And it was one of those steps that you come down this way. And then the door is actually under the steps that go into the basement. My mom's with the gun and like the guy's trying to get through the door. She's telling us to run down the block where I, I think our great grandmother lived. And we like, we are barefooted and we just ran there until the cops came. And then another time a guy, there was a side, my little brother was just born and there was like a, we had the windows barred in our, in our room. And it was four of us in one room. And my mom's getting out of the shower and this guy was trying to lift my little brother so he could put him on the uh, side of the roof or like the side. Cause like, it was weird. Cause like the window was right there. And there's like a little like, Type thing, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't. So he like was awning. physically was trying, like, trying to out. move. Yeah. he was
1: physically trying to move your infant brother. Yeah, to the roof. The,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So he could get my in. Mom, yeah, my mom screamed, and uh to this day, I just remember blacking out. Like I'm such a, uh, I was such a bitch. I just how
1: old? How out. old? Well, you, that's not a bit thing to do, though,
2: man. I mean, your was like, like I was. Uh, some dude is trying to put your little infant brother five. on the roof. Like, come on. The, the first thing happened when I think four, and then that happened when I was like five. Jesus, so, so
1: who was trying to climb in the fucking chimney?
2: So this, you would have to ask my mom. says so it was one of those things. It was like it went to his past. Us. that's kind of why we left after that. Yeah, so, yeah. It was another fire too. Like there was fires that happened all the time around that way. That were some were like okay, and then other ones uh, through people that I met, it was like oh, that was that was intentional. People were wow. getting people getting murked all the time, and it was just like Jesus. You know, my, I think my so, mom tried to get away from it. Yeah,
1: so then you, you moved to another neighborhood. You moved to the nor- sort of northeast area of Philadelphia, which is down on Rose- Roosevelt Boulevard. is the one you're referring yeah. to down there, right? No, yeah, I'm familiar.
2: From, uh, Bridge and Pratt, where the frank Terminal was. Yes. And then yes. That was kind of like that was fine. It just it was weird. It was just like some people accepted you for who you were. Some people didn't. But I always tell people when when you're short and you're, yeah. you're not athletic and you're not smart, you'll you'll see everyone's true colors. Because I was like, yeah, I I never had friends. I always got picked on and. Contrary to now, for the longest time, even when I got to NASCAR, when I was 18 or 19, I would stutter, I had a slur problem. Like, really? just, yeah, 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 that was like one of the main things that kids would use against me, where I would just lose my shit and just jump over and start fighting and stuff like that. So you so, scrapped, you scrapped a lot. The first time that ever happened, it was the bigger kid, like a chubby kid, and he pushed me around, I wanted to be his friend. And My mom, I'll never forget, she gripped me, like on my shoulders so tight, and she whispered in my ear, she's like, if I don't fight him, don't come home. The parents came, we talked it out, I shook his hand. As soon as I came through that door, my mom and dad whooped my ass. And what I realized was I'd rather get beat up by a kid than take, you know, get beat by my parents. Cause that's going to hurt wow. more. Well, so why did they beat, became beat like I don't this. understand. Why did they, why did they beat your ass? I, you know, I, I kind of get it. Cause like it was, it was a rough area to grow up and I, I think my I parents that. was short they, they wanted you, you to defend yourself they wanted yeah, you to don't, defend don't, yourself don't I because you. your then like, i guess like maybe they could like take advantage of it but after that it was kind of like a i did like this don't say anything policy like at hit first ask later because right. i knew my mom would have my back Because like i it just came off to me like that's what they want me to do and my brother would like my There were so many times my brother like just wait just wait and i i just wouldn't wait i would just like whatever i don't just, care if I just, just pop off yeah yeah because my brother was like cool he was just like one of those kids that I remember one time we were playing like baseball and like he beat these other kids and then they got their older brother, which was like in the fifth grade, my brother was in the third. And he just, he was just good. He was one of those kids, kind of like where I would meet in the racing school, like they could look at something once or they could see it once and then they could just do it. You know, I would have to read, you know, the engine notes over and over, over again. I would read math like over and over and over again. My brother was just like, had that immense talent in, in baseball and track, especially to like, just pick it up and go. Wow. My uncle, I remember he commented my older uncle because he was like, he was like, he knew where we were. We we grew up on warm. She was like, it's like how do you know how to play baseball? You don't have equipment. You don't have a field. And I remember when he said that, I was like, damn, I want to be like my older brother. Wow.
1: And so I know I can I can attest to being short and knowing what that feels like and knowing the pratfalls and the bullying behavior that comes with that. You know what I mean? Like it's like unless you're in it you don't quite understand so like yeah. i can sympathize completely with that because it was like yeah. not being athletic you know not having the best grades in the world yeah. you know being sort of this creative quiet kid nerdy kid and you like, know what i'm saying like i yeah. like, i was just i it was just a recipe for disaster and it was just like it never fucking stopped and so you you're getting in trouble you get into all these fights like like did you ever imagine that there was going to be a way out from it or did you always just think like now this is just going to be life
2: yeah, it was just like it's, it's just how it is it is what it is there was times where i feel sorry for myself because like um and i got picked on a lot like uh when i was like six years old i remember these girls like in the recess they came up to me they threw their huggy juice at me told me I was ugly, exactly. and i just knew i was like my brother was one of those people like well you got to find out who their brother is and then you got to beat them up so right because i right. gotta problems. go up the chain
1: gotta go up the chain and yeah
2: it, and I remember my mom, like, and my mom they used to do this thing where they, they would, like, go on and on and on for a while before they would beat me. And I don't know, I always put those two together. Like, I'd rather get my ass whooped and go through that back and forth right. of, like, just talking and annoying me. Like, I'd rather just do it. Just what has it right. to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll cry, and then I'll, you know. And I learned that from my brother, because my brother would do that, like, I think after, like, seven years old, just, you know, cry, get upstairs, and then be fine. And right. then uh, just go from there. And then it was weird, because, like, you know, one time... When I was in the twelfth grade, I got there was like a fight, and I remember I was with this one guy that I knew. He was big, just the way he threw the punch. I remember we we ran away, and I looked him. I was like, "Have you ever been in a fight before?" Because I just knew the way he threw the punch, and he was like, "He's like no, I'm I'm he's was, he was like six three or six four He's like, wow. I'm with you. He He's like, "Who would ever fuck with me?" And that's when I knew I was like, "Man, it just sucks oh, like yeah. that." Um, because I remember he just had that look of like someone like I just remember he was really cool and popular, and then someone like me was like everything i had to do was just it was such a a pain in the ass to just get by it was just like i didn't want to be bothered anymore so you know and i didn't really have a lot of friends i didn't really talk about the racing school because like i started i think right before the ninth grade and it was just like yeah let's
1: that's something that's really i feel like that's that sort of set the tone of of your life right was was this nascar yeah. youth program you got yeah. into yeah and a... so and it happened because of a sleepover right like tell me tell me that story because now <laughs> so, like
2: i'm curious we moved to uh near frankfurt and harbison harbison and Benner whatever right there not too far from Wisconsin park okay and uh one of my good i'm still friends with to this day i like like when they mention me they say yeah it's my stepbrother and i say the same thing because i've known them for 18 19 years already wow and my parents never let me sleep over and that, that one day they just said fine and um my best friend's uh, mom was like hey like there's a seat left in the race school do you want to do it and i was like oh it'll be something to do for the summer because i i don't got no plans uh my bike um I didn't have a bike. Everyone else did. And that was like the thing back in the day to find everybody. Because if you didn't have a bike, you had to like walk. And that shit took forever. So I was like, I'll
1: do that. Especially in the city, man. I can't even, I know the fucking, the the burbs were the shits when you had to walk somewhere. But like being in the city without a bike, dude,
0: fuck that.
1: Oh,
2: God sucks. That's how it started. And uh, I I was terrible when I first started doing the racing. Uh, so much so the instructor, his name was Doug. He was going to make me do flags, and then he just said, "When you're wow. out there, just let it all loose. Don't stop, stop thinking about stuff. Stop stressing." And when he said that, it just changed everything because I was like, it just became this like adrenaline. And I just remember every time I would go out there, you know, moment where I grow, I was like, I, I would look both ways, and I was always like looking out, seeing like who's acting suspicious. But we're racing. It was just like, I want to win. I don't care what happens and my anxiety was always bad because all the stuff i went through i had depression since i was like seven or eight years old but with racing it was like this weird drug because i wish you could have been there there was just they were there but they'll tell you it's just like i was that person like i would try to do whatever would go through like you know two people in a turn that take take over the lead and like just this wild things i would do and it was just like when i'm out there i've never felt so free you know we had the fire suit But under that, you have like the fire shirt, fire thermals, fire mask, and then the helmet. But seatbelt this way, seatbelt that way, seatbelt from under, seatbelt from top. You had the hands device. It was like, but I felt so free, man. It It was finally something I was good at. It was something that I wanted to get better at. And then it opened the doors to the NASCAR world, which was a culture shock. And, you know, the first time... We went down south. I remember, I think we were going to Concord Mills, but we had to take a detour because there was like a KKK rally. And I am I was a bad kid. Wow. But like, there was a lot of kids, like the racing school was pulling some bad, like, I mean, cause like I would be on the bus with them when we were younger when we first started doing like the, 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 the program, it was called the Urban Youth Racing School. And like, they just, they seen some stuff too. But I remember that was that thing where we were all like, you know, and it's like we kind of knew about it, but it was like, holy lord, like this is real, you know. Now,
1: so yeah. you, so you drive by, in now, what state were you in? Concord Mills, what state is that?
2: I think this was, yeah, this was North Carolina. So you're in,
1: you're in fucking North Carolina, and there's a there's a Klan rally happening.
2: So we have to go another way. What? And that was one of those things where it's like,
1: I'm just um, like. I'm just blown away by this. Like, what exactly does, I've never seen a clan. I mean, the area I grew up in, 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 lower bucks County, like it just, just rife with, you know, white supremacy and, and clans, clansmen. But like, what in the world? Like, what did that look like? And then like, what's your initial thoughts? Like, fuck, like if we get stopped or just, we're in so much shit, like what, like, how so, do you even.
2: That time I didn't really see much, but I know one time when I was, uh, working for NASCAR, I saw one, like, like, you know, where they, the cops are there. Cause like, I think they could, they could book their time, freedom of speech or whatever. And they were there and they had the the flag. And like, when you see it, like, cause that time, I don't remember, I don't know what I saw. Cause I know I was like kind of in the, one of the back cars. So I don't know if it was up there and then we just immediately took whatever term we could get. Man. But I know later on in life, I, I saw one and I was there and I remember, you know, um, kids, I was at Central Piedmont Community College and I was like, wow, this is real, like a real thing. and and uh you know i could tell like <laughs> they wanted to make a fuss for it for me i was like don't man it's just it's, it's just how they are it's like I've, i'll never be able to turn them my way just like there's people from where i'm from where i could never have you know vice versa it's just things you know it is what it is and things have gotten so bad that uh people have that when people believe something with religious conviction my, my mentor used to say you know jesus himself could come down and be like no you're wrong and they would be like but no, you said this like to mm-hmm. himself. And it's like, that was a good life lesson because it was like, why why put my friends in any type of jeopardy or something like that I have no control over. The The most important lesson I learned too was the first time in the racing school that I went with them to a race. Uh, I think it was Dover or Pocono, I can't remember. And we had like a meeting, like a briefing. Like we had those, we had to. And um, my friend's best friend, she was like the director, and she said, listen, when we go there, there's a chance you're gonna see things you might not wanna see, or you might hear things you don't wanna hear. And it was, it was such a strong move. I always respect her for that. She said, if you retaliate, you're done. You're out of the school. And what she said next was huge. She was like, cause we're above that. We're not gonna be those type of people. We're gonna be above that. And I'll never forget that. And that's when I was like, wow, this is like, this is something that we're really gonna try to do and we went there a lot of my most times it was good a lot of like the guys would like really cool um they tried to offer us beer but they were so classed <laughs> it, <laughs> it was always stuff like that it was like pick a driver talk about stuff like that the drivers were for the most part pretty cool and seeing that at a young age and doing like i think the first time i started doing interviews i was like 13 and the first time yeah. i read nascar radio and then i did mrn that's so crazy. To the man. side. That's and so, said, and it's. Listen. It's it's so crazy because it's like it
1: sounds almost like it was this program was like groundbreaking for kids in the inner city. You know what I mean? Like it sounded like it was groundbreaking and it gave you the opportunity because that's that's the Dan Cologne that I know is the one who's like outworking everybody in the room. Like you literally run fucking circles around everybody all the time. Like I never like when we were in college, man, I never knew when the hell you slept because you were always like, Oh yeah, I gotta go do this and I'm doing this for this, this person doing that. And like I feel like you learned all of that. From yeah. this youth program with NASCAR. And it's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. What was that period of time from the time you came to Westchester, or I guess rather, from the time you left the youth program to the time you came to Westchester that you were homeless?
2: Yeah. So, uh, at that which is time, just
1: amazing to me. Like when I think about it yeah. again, I don't mean to cut you off, but like thinking about where you are now and thinking about the hustle God, and the God. drive that you have, the idea of you like living on the street or living in your car is just like, how does it like? So, where does that happen?
2: Where does that start? Yeah, it was so, um, ninth, 10th grade were really brutal. I I was so suicidal. I was so depressed, even though the racing was going kind of what I wanted. I just knew, man, like doing good day, Philadelphia constant being at the track, meeting celebrity and drivers, like it didn't really, but I knew how hard it was going to be to break the barrier, to try to make it the amount of, you know, it's millions of dollars of technology for a car. And I'm like, you know, um, guys at the shop I used to say too, like, A lot of people, they're really talented, but they don't have the networking. It's like, you do, you just got to get the seat time. So I was like, man, the chances of me making it very slim. But at work, I think was there because Monday through Friday, we had high school. And three to four times a week, I had to go to the racing school, which was on uh, Delaware Avenue, which I I forgot what they call it now. Oh, my God. That would be Columbus Boulevard. Why did they do that? Yeah, so Delaware Avenue. Dude, I have no idea.
1: And I think about that every day. Like, I re- it just was one of those things where, like, you went one day and it was Delaware
2: Avenue, and then you came back and it was Columbus Boulevard. I was like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. Here? But yeah. So that's, I would take the 70 to the 66 from Northeast High School, Frankfurt Terminal, then take that all the way to Front Spr- Spring Garden. Yeah. I would always be there till like eight, nine o'clock at night whenever. But the thing was, like, if Good Day Philadelphia came or NBC Sports came or something like that, Sometimes it would be spur of the moment where we maybe get same day notice. I get the text, and the way that the school was ran, you know, there was only so many seats, and it was like if you don't show up, it's gonna show like you don't care. So you had to, right? You you, and um, they were they were the only friends I had, you know. But those were my boys. Like I remember, like when we were some of them, you know, when I first came into school, we were at the gas station because the bus would pick us up to go to the racing track. And Oaks PA, we would just share, you know, butterscotch crimpets, yoo-hoos, because we were all broke, you know, that's what we were eating for breakfast. And so I was always so happy to see them too. And I knew I wanted to get better at public speaking because I was so tired of like being shy and timid. So I did that. And then I finished high school somehow. I don't know how. I don't, I really don't, because I was going to drop out in the 11th grade. I already had like 100 absences. I had all Fs. And I had to swallow my pride and I had to ask all the teachers to give me extra credit work or if I could fill up some stuff and everyone did it but once and she failed me and I had to do summer school while doing the race in school. And I was already uh. tired because basically on Sundays, all I would do was sleep. That's why like, I didn't know anything about sports. Cause like the only thing I knew was, was NASCAR. That's why right. i was spending time around. So from that, we uh, finished high school and the Boys and Girls Club, like uh, the racing school got me in touch with the Boys and Girls Club and their SCEP, Summer Career Exploration Program. I did an interview and I bombed so bad that the same day that I did it later on, the person that was like, you know, coordinating the thing she called me. she's like hey she gave me a lot of pointers and she wanted to let you know they seem very cool but she was like you know it, it happened I could tell she just was like it was terrible yeah yeah so i was
1: yeah. I'm trying to be so nice about up.
2: it yeah yeah <laughs> I thought so bad I did another interview for Drexel and I and it was still kind of bad and then I I called their her name was Diane Datcher and I was like give me one more please give me one more like, I, I just, I hate failing. I need another something chance. I need it. another, ch- I need something. Yeah. So it was University of Penn and I got the job and I was a research assistant for school social policy and practice. I'm like, I'm going to not, I'm not going to do good, but like just that work ethic was there and they, I worked for them for two years and I didn't know this until my last day. What happened was there was this, um, SPSS statistical package uh, for social science. It's like Excel, but way more, you know, meticulated and stuff like that. And I did the first hundred surveys and I had like 30 errors. And then oh, my dean no. um, was like, Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell oh, you how much I would no. sweat and interviews would come. In. he went to Croatia or something like that and he came back with like a, a, a thousand. So I did the next thousand and there were only three mistakes. And God. I gave him a job. So what happened was he went to the dean, and he was like, we got to hire this kid. He's like, I've never, and all the UPenn students, has anyone done that good? Like, he's got it. He's like, well, we don't have the money. So uh, Ram Kanam was the associate dean. He's like, how about this? Half the pay comes from UPenn. Other half comes from my personal salary. Whoa. So that's how I was able to become a research assistant for University of Penn, School of Social Work.
0: Wow. And when I
2: was there, I took six months off, and the racing school was pissed. They were like, why? I was like, I'm going to save up for books and stuff like that and, and things like that and um i became very close with the gibbs family joe gibbs um his son was the president uh, jd god rest his soul he was he was the person that i met when i was 17 or 16 years old and i looked at it like i have to impress this guy
1: now the president of uh, uh, the president of what
2: joe gibbs racing and it for the next oh
1: okay got it yeah. got it
2: okay yeah yeah so um he he gave me his like personal cards, stuff like that. And I had already dealt with the media and I dealt with celebrities and I kind of was like, all right, well, I'll probably never hear from him. And he would call me, see if I would stay out of trouble and stuff like that. And the owner of the racist school, I remember he looked up at me and he brought me to his office he's like, that's never happened before. He was like, he's like, what are you doing with their life? And then it, we had this meeting of what I was supposed to do. And that was the reason why I didn't drop out of high school. Wow. I met this guy And I was like, I need to impress him because no one has ever taken a liking like this guy has into my life. That was when I was at UPenn, I was, man, my biggest fear has always been, which is crazy, because, like, I've been robbed, I've been, had a gun pulled out on me before when I was at Hunting Park, like, because I was, like, just partying all the time, and, but, like, going to school, if I failed, it would come out that I was dumb, and everybody, like, I just didn't want that to happen, so I took Isn't six months off. Isn't it funny yeah. when you look back on that
1: kind of shit, you're yeah, just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I stressed so much about that shit. Like, it just bad. it doesn't even matter. It didn't even matter the way we thought it did. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like I remember being so disappointed in myself. You said mm-hmm. you were talking about summer school, and I failed my 11th grade, my junior year English class. She was dreadful. I mean, it, my defense, this teacher was horrific. And – I failed it, and I remember just being like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I fucking failed a class! Like, I have to go to summer school in my before my senior year of high school, and like, you know, right?" It was like Half of the class was with me and it was like, you know, some kids that were like me and, and, and some of the smarter kids that failed the class or got like a
2: D and had to make it up. And it was just like, an 11th grade is the grade that you have to send you the have to go. To right, I already right. was up against it.
1: Yeah. And you're just and
2: up no. Shit's sh- Creek, man. Yeah. It's crazy. So when I was 16, I was having problems with my dad and my mom and, you know, long story short, I started living with my grandma. So I went from, Harbison, Frankfurt, Harbison, Harbison, or whatever, Huntington Park, right across the street from Hunted Park. And I would go from there to Northeast High School to finish up. And then I remember when I was in 2006, my grandma was moving to Dominican Republic, so I was gonna be homeless. So the Gibbs family paid for my apartment for a year. Wow.
1: So wow, dude. that
2: was the next thing that the school had never experienced before and they did that to finish out that year because every summer we would go down south and work for the team and i would always get called back to Joe. like we we just had this relationship and jd would always take me out to dinner and like pray for me and i became some close with the guys in the paint shop because that's where i would typically work right so i was at upenn and now i'm like the school's got this like hey man you got to do good jd's believing in me i begged like I just said, fuck Pride. I was like, teach me how to read and write, teach me stuff like that. They gave me a practice like placement test kind of thing. Right. So I was like, my math in English was at like at a ninth grade level. And I'm like, you gotta oh, like lead, teach me like arithmetic. And the one girl care um when you're like a teacher there at upenn the Ivy League school, you're like a star. Because I remember one time I used to do the front desk sometimes to help save the building money at uh 38 and walnut. Okay, I know exactly, I
1: yeah, I know exactly yeah. where you're at, yep. I used to walk there and take pictures, <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 You, okay, you take one of the no. R's,
2: right?
1: I took the R, well, it's the Paoli Thorndale line, but I think it's oh, the Oh, they changed it, it the, too? Come on. I think it was the R. Yeah, do they change? Nothing is the R line anymore. It's like, I think it was the you R5, know. right? The R5 or the R4, the Paoli Thorndale. But yeah, I would jump, I mean, you know where my career was. It was, I would jump in the car, drive to the train station, which is like thirty seconds away from my house, I'd get on the train and take it right into thirtieth Street or Suburban. It depended on if I wanted to get accosted by the bums that day at Suburban. Or if I just needed like an extra walk. You know what I mean? Like if I didn't do my cardio at the gym that day, I would fucking take suburban and I would walk, you know, cross over towards Thirtieth Street and huff the six blocks down that way. But yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy, man. Like
2: so. Crazy, so So yeah, go ahead. Um Totally uh, off topic. It, I'm sorry. We totally derailed no. there for a second. It's, it's, it's crazy how much change in such little time. Well, it's been a long really? time.
1: Really? It really you has, know. man. Like, Philly is like, even even University City, like, when I was working down there in, like, 2017 before Sophie was born, it was, like, still an up and coming, you know, up whatever the fuck that means. But, like, it was up and coming. And, like, the building had just been built. It had just opened in
2: 2016. And they were building a new yeah. office
1: building right know, next
2: to it. And The building you worked at, because I used to work right up the block. And then I worked at the yeah. I, I remember I was like, what is this?
1: And it used to be it, like it, a high school. It, there used to be
2: a high school right there. Yeah. It was like some kind and of like, high school, yeah. I remember you couldn't go past 40th street. Like mm-hmm. I I could cuz I didn't give up, you know, what I mean cuz I kind of knew like I was like, you know, the way I dress, like I just felt like I was fine cuz I grew up around that type of area before, but then it just kept going back 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 yeah. it became more and more, you know, college students and stuff like that. But Well, that was
1: the um, that was the thing when we went. We would go to this restaurant called I think it was called Copa Banana, which is I think on 8th. Is. is it 38th or 40th and um it's not God what the name it's it's like Walnut I think it's on Chestnut Um, yeah but it's like 38th or 39th but they will be like don't don't go farther Mm -hmm. than like 41st or 42nd like don't like stay pretty much right here and they were like, "Oh, this is still a pretty solid area." And then, like the day after we were there, somebody shot up the front of the the, the restaurant, and it was like, "Oh my god!" Like we could have been there at that time, you know. And it's just like, yeah. it's wild to see. And I have, you know, I have my own views about, you know, gentrification and and how awful it is. But like, it's just wild to see like the 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 merging of those worlds together, you know, where they're trying to bring these things in, and it's just like, no, it's not happening, you know, it's just not not gonna work. But, um. I am I'm always pleasantly surprised when I go to areas of Philadelphia yeah, uh that I still. discover that are like you know that were kind of shitty but now aren't anymore you know yeah. like <laughs> Fishtown and uh, and Northern Liberties. Liberties when was the last time when was the last time you were through Fishtown or Northern Liberties
2: um I think when Mike Barry lived down there and I, oh, I was hiding okay. my stuff I, I was hiding stuff under his mattress and he was like And I just remember because, like, when I grew up, I remember just, you know, the the druggies, the the people just hanging out. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I don't know why I was shocked. And then afterwards, I was like, wow, like, this this isn't my hometown anymore. Uh, But at the same time, too, I mean, I guess that's better than what it used to be, which was just craziness. It was just, um, you know, chaos. And especially, when I was younger, because I remember like the Irish kids and the Italian kids, and like then like me and the just you know, my brother was able to branch and make friends with everybody. He would earn everyone's respect, and then it was just kind of like me or whatever. <laughs> so
1: yeah, he was like the piece. He was the deal maker, and you were you were, he was the brains, and you were the bronze, right? Like you were the guy that was just handling. Yeah, business. my brother yeah. was like, man, like
2: wait, 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 wait. My brother said he used to love like my fights because like I didn't know how to really fight. Honestly, it was just throwing. I just I was short, so I would always just like he I, his thing yeah. was like I would throw these uppercuts, like just. Immense of like both of the body hit the uppercuts because I was short I had to get close yeah. and I didn't care if I got beat it's like my thing was like if you like would, like one time this kid beat me up and you know I got my ass whooped which was like not uncommon but he just kept saying stuff and I remember um I just waited till we walked past to go to uh like the indoor like lunchroom which was like where the gym room was at uh is at Carnell and I jumped out of the janitor's closet and just like started choking him and punching him in front of his friends Cause then I knew like, if I did that, he would, he would leave me alone. And that's right. Right. Like Like another time I, um, fear, fear is a powerful motivator. Yeah. This is kid James. I remember giving a hard time. Um, and I I remember he went, so I took the chair and I threw it at him. And then (laughs) I got in trouble for that. So like, I had like really like, I had like anger issues for sure. But when you, if you looked at me, it was like, you could just pick on me and stuff like that. And it was just like, I was getting tired of it. And, uh, then next thing you know, the school changed kind of like, I was just like in this work ethic mode, but it was like, yeah. you know, it's different when there's a saying my mentor used to say, you know, no one knows how expensive the world is than a poor person. And I was already on my own living in an apartment when I was at U And now my free time had to, I had to dissect time from racing school to learn how to read and write again. Oh my God. And uh, Carol Spiner came through the building. I mean, all the students were waiting for her. And when she came in, it was like, she was a celebrity. I was like, I don't know who she is. And she started talking to me and I was like, yeah, so let me just talk, you know, I'm at the front desk and she gave me her card. She's like, all right, so I'm email you. And I was typing, I was like, really? And she left, she's like, yeah, she's like, do you not think I was gonna like take interest in you? She's like, there's something about you. So she used to work for the Clinton administration. And uh, apparently she knew people, I didn't believe her. And she's like, and she, so, and then one time Janet Reno came in and I was like, oh, she does. Jesus so Christ. Um, I remember she, there was a student that she knew and she was like, um, take him around, have him walk around and like just whatever. And they were talking about arts, music. Like I had no idea. All I knew was hip hop. And they were talking about, you know, Glenn Miller and Vivaldi and like all this other stuff. And what she taught me was like, you become your environment. And she was like, you have an opportunity because you're here at UPenn and you're working and they're so not, they're lenient. Not like they're not gonna let me slack. But like, if I wanted to walk and take a lunch break, if I wanted to walk and get away to take a quick break or do something or to see something real quick, they didn't mind because they knew the opportunity that I was given. So going to symposiums or after working an extra gig or two because I was working like two or three jobs, I would sit back. And since I knew people, I would see plays or see the, this thing. And I remember this one guy, he was playing the trumpet. It was Miles Davis. And I was, he could tell, cause I was like cleaning up and I kept looking at him. Then when I was done, he was like, he was like, come here. And he was like, he was like, you know what this is? And I was like, I don't. He was like, well sit down, eat one of those sandwiches and I'm gonna keep playing. And he kept playing and I fell in love and I just wanted to figure out more about it. So I, from that, that became like the gateway of music and like opened right. up culturally. Because after that, then it was like Sinatra, Tony Bennett. And then I, from that went from Cool in the Gang, you know, R. C. Bell and the Drells. like it just opened up everything because I was like, "This is this whole world I have no idea about." It's and funny, um, man.
1: It's it's so funny you said that. So like you're exposed to Miles Davis's music, some dudes playing Miles Davis, yeah. And then you get Sinatra, Coolin' a Gang,
2: Willie Armstrong. There
1: was and, and um, I'm but I'm thinking about like I'm just sitting here reflecting on like the radio show, right? And I'm sitting here thinking about how like I don't think I ever heard you play a hip hop record, like and. Know. I think you did like – I think it was – what was it? It was like um, Alternative Rock or something, right? Like it was like Starfucker and some of those groups and shit, right? Like some of those different – And then I would interview them,
2: which was – I was the first person to start doing that stuff and it was like –
1: And it was – you're like, yeah. I mean, you gave me, you sort of like gave me the idea to like reach out to to Dr. Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and, and start that. And then, that and one, then Matt, I told, to
2: that Matt told that one. told yo,
1: I, I shared that on a podcast here when like when COVID started. I was like, yo, this, I, you know, this interview is way too good to not share and have it sit in my vault for no reason. Yeah, um, but. And then like Matt Toll gets Herb Albert and then like it's just Yo, But I remember like I would throw little things at you or I would be like listening to some like random Cuban link record.
0: And, and I know, like, yeah,
1: yeah I'd be like, Yeah, man, that's the cut that was supposed to be on 24K. And you know, it's like
2: yeah, you know, this dude knows
1: his shit. Like I I don't I I don't know many folks who can go.
2: As like detailed in hip hop, as I think my can. uncles. Yeah, my uncles were, were my like, and then my one uncle worked at a barber shop, so that's like all we like. Mm. And so, you know, there's that story where Adam hit the apple, and then everything came to him, and that's what you kind right. of it opened the doors, and I realized, oh wow, like there's a whole bigger world, and and then I realized kind of what NASCAR was, and so kind of like even meeting you guys, it was like I gotta try new stuff because. I don't wanna be 40, 50 years old and have what ifs on the dinner plate. I would be at the parks late at night like, and there was guys that used to ball with Earl Monroe. There was kids that I met that ball with Curry, Kobe Bryant. There was people I knew that did stuff with uh, Kevin Hart. And I would always ask myself, it's 11 o'clock at night. What are they doing here? So I keep listening to the story because again, I wasn't good at anything else but listening. I couldn't do anything else but listen. And it was always women, money, drugs partying it was always one of those things so then i vowed i can't do that if i'm gonna do this because i was gonna i was like you know what the reason why i moved to florida when i was 19 after you know was i'd rather die in florida i'd rather die trying than being stuck in north philly right because like at least people will say at least he died trying so i moved you know and then that's why i did it like i, I never was a smart kid i was i had no game plan was no scheme all it was was that i was this kid I was suicidal and the reason why i kept competing was that i i started thinking about it's like wait i'm a loser i'm short I'm, I'm not good at this and that and that's their word it's not mine so if i beat you or if i give you a challenge and it would happen like i would see it in their eyes because they didn't probably train or they didn't think it about because talented people usually they don't work as hard and then they get in, chan- in life, there's no second chances, really. That's another thing that I right. learned. And I was like, right. And if because if they came back and they, they really prepared for it, I know they would beat me. I, w- I would say it to this day, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's just people, they don't understand that there's no second chances, but my ace in the hole was that I'm a loser. I'm a piece of shit. I've got nothing to lose if I go out there and make a fool of myself because right. on the recess floor, when I walk down the street, that's what everyone thinks of me anyway. And so when I was doing stuff at UPenn and learning, like my friends had a problem with it. It was like, you know, that's not what we do. And you're Puerto Rican, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. I wouldn't hang out at the clubs. I wouldn't do, you know, and it sucked because, you know, one time there was a professor who wanted me to talk to the kids at the U, I don't know if it was the business school or what, but those kids had money. Oh yeah, you're talking about the warden business school, right? Yeah. I don't know if it was that or not, but I remember like when I talked to them, he was like, I think he goes sailing every summer with his dad, but like he did some stuff or whatever. I remember I was talking about my story. And I remember like it felt so sad. And then one kid was like, he started crying. And they, they caught me later on and they were going to give me like a thousand, like a couple grand, like we want to help you out. And I remember I was like, man, I can get a car. I can do this and that. And I thought about, I was like, man, I'm going to spend this money. Because I, I knew I was like, I didn't know exactly what it was, but like, I'm not ready. And I was like, I don't want that. But what I'll take is this. I need you teaching me how to read, write. I need to teach you me how to walk, etiquette, properness. I need to know how to do this stuff. So they did. And uh, I don't know who they are. I, wow. I should have kept in contact with them because there were times too. Like, I remember, like, I mean, I was a different person back then. Like, I, they, I would do stuff over and over again for them. Like the way I would walk, like, Because right. I, man, I, there's video of it kind of somewhere. I don't know where it is. Cause I try to delete most of it, but like,
1: yo, you got that picture that you put up with the hair, the long no. hair. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh my God,
2: that's Dan. Holy shit. But Look at that. They said the way I sat, like everything I felt, cause there was times I felt insulted and it's like, I was so frustrated. They thought that I was going to like hit them or something, but then little by little. And then they took me to like a, a dance there was swing music playing and stuff like that and you had to like ask the girls hand behind them like it was so cool i was like where the fuck am i doing and that experience taught me i need to just keep pushing myself because i have no idea what the world is going to get back to me and um that was like the thing where uh (laughs) the next semester that like i think what was it 2006 i did community college i took the practice placement test and i still placed out of math and English. Wow. And I wanted to drop out so bad because basically my first year of college wouldn't count. And it's like the school thought, like, I remember Michelle, she was like, she was just so can't believe that I took summer classes and just kept moving forward because there's nothing worse than going, you need to take college classes that aren't college classes to show that you can do you can math. Yeah, I was. <laughs>
1: The same way, man. I bombed all that shit, man. All that oh my shit. God. When I was fucking going it's, through the, the schooling and stuff, man. Go back day, into the college, yeah.
2: Yeah. To this day, it was like, listen, man. Not having meals, I'm used to. Right. Getting fights and stuff, like, but stuff like that, you, you just when you come from like inner city and it's just it's just they don't have what it what they what they need to tell students. It's just like you're not prepared for it. Because my thing is like, I don't have that brain. I wasn't trained for it. I never really cared about it how am I going to get there in, in a summer? Like, how am right. I, gonna, you know what I mean? So I just cut the time at the race and school and anything else because I was working, I would leave my apartment like six in the morning, meet my friend Todd at community college. do the community, And I would always get home like around 11 o'clock at night. The R bus would always be delayed, especially when it was like winter time. I would be out there for like an hour, hour and a half. Like clockwork, dude, times. you could set
1: your watch to how many times? Oh so my God, there were so many bro. times
2: that like people would start, like I remember there was times where like people were so frustrated they went to fight with the bus driver. Mm-hmm. So it would make things slower. And like sometimes the cops would have to get involved. And then after having a year under my belt of like college credits, I got an internship with NASCAR. And what they didn't tell me, like the school called me, like, you need to show up at the racing school right now. I'm like, I'm in trouble because they never do this. And I was sitting out front and they weren't here. I was like, oh, they're coming just for me. I was like, I'm wow. so fucked. <laughs> And I said, you got an internship with NASCAR. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm not ready. He's like, he's like, no, you have to. I remember he was eating something. I was like, I was like, why? He's like, he's like, because no kid in the racing school has ever done an internship with NASCAR yet. So I was like, when he said that, I knew I had to do it. Right. Right. You have to. Yeah. You can't
1: pass that up. Yeah.
2: Oh my God. And I didn't want to do it, but at the time, my uncle worked at a barbershop in front in Allegheny. And it was one of those moments that changed my life because uh, he did my hair. And I was gonna, I always hang out with him. I would hang out with my uncle, he kept me out of trouble. All I had to do was my homework. You know, if I did my homework, I could hang out with him, spend the time with his car, we'd like do whatever. And this guy robbed a drift store up the block. And so me as a kid thinking I'm, you know, in touch, I ran up to see it as the cop was chasing him. When I turned around, you know, he shot himself. And he had a three, five, he was like, you know, it was a revolver. So it, it just blew out his, blew his, his
1: fucking head off.
2: Yeah. It was like, um, you know, just like a mallet to a watermelon. And, uh, I wasn't prepared for that. And I remember, uh, I was eating wherever bag of chips I was. I just, you know, I don't know what I dropped it. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then I went back to my uncle and I told him, and when he finished the shift, he came back. And when I tell you the smell like immediately, you know, people just like, you know, and, uh, I told my uncle, it's like, man, I don't want to ever get like that. I had to get out of here. So I was 16 when that happened. And then when I was uh, 18, a friend I knew, he got killed. And then when I was 19, right before it, because I was like, I wasn't sure if I should do NASCAR or not. Another good friend, he got killed. And I was like, I have to go. And before I left, because like I was hanging out with, 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 you know, kids that were whatever, they told me go and don't come back. And I knew exactly what they were trying to tell me it was like, just this is an opportunity I have to take it on. And, you know, they, I knew when they did it. Cause once you leave, it's really hard to come back. But I just didn't know anybody like I used to. And I mean, I never wanted to know because if I didn't see them, it was like, you know, did they move on somewhere else. Did they move, did they get killed, did they get locked up? It just, it's heartbreaking. And it's like, I gotta keep moving forward. And that was the, 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 the deciding factor for me. So I moved to Florida, for like 340 bucks. And uh, we had to stay at Embry Riddle, and my mattress had no sheets, no pillow, nothing. And I actually had to borrow money from another intern. Her name was Shauna, just to get some of the essentials. And when I tell you, I would. It was a. Uh, it was like it's not like inner city, and I didn't know that, so I had to take walk forever to get to like this Dollar General, and like mm-hmm. run across this like crazy long, I think it was Daytona International Speedway Boulevard, this Dollar General, and whatever microwavables i had and i would cut it in half and i would have one half for breakfast and the other half for dinner and then for lunch i just had to I would eat chips soda whatever to help me get through it you know and that's i was like i knew i was going to make mistakes you know as far as like professionally or whatever but i knew this right. was going to change me i had to take the opportunity for what it was and i was so thankful that my um my boss she was so tough on me She constantly kept me working hard and stuff like that. And one of my things was like lunch and learns. And through that, I, I met, you know, Dave Finley. I met Jim Hunter. He was a VP of communications. He knew Bill France senior, you know, and he, when I left, I remember my boss said, she's like, never have I had someone to make connections and build friendships so easily. I was like, I what, they're my friends. I wasn't, she was like, well, you, and then she was the one that taught me like everything I was doing from 13 and now was like it's, it's networking. I was it's like, all no, like, they're yeah. friends. Like I, I I respect them. And she's like, Well, that's why they, they're so invested in your life. She's like, I could tell that they sometimes they wish they could be you. I was like, Why would they want to be me? Like I'm so poor. It's like it's like I but told now, you, man,
1: you're the secret sauce, dude. I told yeah, you. Like you have this, you have this innate ability to connect people who otherwise wouldn't be connected. Foundation Radio is brought to you today by The Dugout. The Dugout specializes in one of a kind vintage and distressed clothing at an affordable price. One of my favorite t shirts in my entourage right now is a Dudley Boys distressed vintage t shirt uh, from the late 90s and the greatest time in wrestling and the greatest tag team of all time. I now own one of their shirts. Also, I have this really rad Prince and the Revolution t-shirt from Purple Rain. All of the distressing work that they do is done by hand, so you know you're getting a quality product at an affordable price. And the great news is is that domestic shipping is always free within the United States. And right now, if you go onto their Etsy shop and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll get 15% off of your entire purchase. That's right, 15% off your entire purchase. So you get an even better deal on an already affordable piece of amazing clothing. So go ahead and give them a follow right now at The Dugout Brand on Instagram. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And don't forget, if you go to their Etsy shop right now and use promo code FOUNDATION at checkout, you'll get 15% off of your entire purchase. The Dugout, customized and vintage apparel. So you get this crazy
2: internship with NASCAR. So it's 2007. Um, and from there, while um, I forgot, I think the owner of race school is at a race and the Gibbs family finds out, JD finds out that I'm working for NASCAR. So he calls me, he says, you're in Daytona Beach, Florida. Well, before I even knew it, the first day he calls my boss and goes, Put it, give it to him hard. like." put him to work. And she didn't tell me till later on. And so then one day he called me, he's like, if you're gonna be working for NASCAR, you're gonna be working for me. So the internship was ending. I made a ton of like friends. Oh my God, like Mike Helton was just a great guy. Jim Hunter who passed away, God rest his soul. You know, I knew, I didn't know what I was doing, but I remember cause uh, one day he pulled me in his office and he's like a legend. And he gave me good advice. He was like, you're a good kid, you know, I like you, so I'm gonna tell you some things. He's like, you know, the first advice, you know, Bill Frank Sr. gave me, and I was like, no, he's like, he was like, shut up, do what you're told and make money. He's like, you know, and he just, from there, I knew, like, th- that's the one thing I can't, I can't believe, like, um, you know, I know there's so much like things racial, but like, there were so many people that I met that were not from my background that, I guess, like, like you, like, they just like, they have that dad, like instinct, because I remember like the, one of the first times I ever did a NASCAR thing, a guy just knew, he keep this white guy, he put me in his car because he was gonna give me something to eat and I would do anything for food because I was always starving. And he put me in his car, He was like, listen, man, when I get into trouble, you know, it's boys will be boys. He's like, when you get into trouble, it's up, uh, see, that's why, that's why you can't, you can't let them leave. And when he said that, because I dealt with the media so much, I knew this guy was like, this is real. And I remember right. I was like, tell me right. more, tell me more. And I had, that's that's what I kept as my mentors. And I used to know the guys from Coca-Cola. And The only reason why I wanted support for, for the next couple of years, because one time Coca-Cola wanted to do something with Tony Stewart and I was talking to them. And Coca-Cola, I knew at the time, like, that's number one. Like, they can do whatever. Like, I just, the way they did things and they had to run it by the board. And I was like, they, even though it sounds like a good idea, they have to run it by the board. So what I did was... I had all these mentors. Whenever I made a decision, a big decision, I ran it by my board, If they didn't know that. So JD, my friend that worked at Red Bull, I had another one at Nextel, Sprint, I had another one at NASCAR, JD, Race. Mm-hmm. So I would ask them, and then it would help me make my decision because I knew very like, a long time ago, I was like, I'm not ready for the world. I'm trying to compete with these other kids. And JD used to say, you know, a lot of kids start at the 40 yard line. He's like, you're at your own goal line. So it's gonna be really tough for you to. So I was like, I need people that know that have been there so I can just at least mimic them. Right. And so the advice was they're at 19 years old, not a lot of kids work at a cup shop. So I had to do it. And my other friend was coming with me. He was gonna work at another team. He was working that deal out. So with $240, I moved to Huntersville, North Carolina. And it takes a while for the job to kick in. So we're starving. We're trying to borrow money wherever we can. And then my buddy left and he had the car and the laptop. This is where I really learned about like life because I didn't have a credit card. I kind of had a bank account. I had I was always in the negative. So then it would take another $36. Uh,
1: yeah, and- of course. Yeah, that's, it's like, hey, you don't have any money, but here, we're going to take a little bit more <laughs> yeah. money
2: from you. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and started the, the, the regular and i remember when i started working at joe gibbs i don't know how they know again it's one of those things where i know because they're a parent they knew i was hungry right They gave me advance on my first check of 130 dollars, and i wow. went to go cash it at a bank of america but because i was a negative so long it had to take like three days to process uh. and i had no food left so when we moved in there was this expired box of mashed potatoes and i i ate it <laughs> <laughs> and I had to go and I went more than a day and some plus without eating and you know how you uh, there's that part where you're like you're hungry and like your stomach slapping your ribs there's I yeah. was packing it. like and I was still going yeah. to school and in and, and, and Huntersville Central Piedmont North Campus where I was going I didn't have a laptop and I had a Wednesday class and then Friday I would stay late to do all my assignments because I couldn't wait till Monday because I didn't have right. a laptop so Wednesday and Friday night, I had to walk home every night and it would take me about two hours. There's no sidewalks. There's no streetlights. I could have easily been abducted. I never thought about it until now. It, it, the grass would be high. I remember the crickets wow. would jump on me and like all this stuff. And the worst part was I had this book bag with all my books. I had to take everything because I had to do everything in one shot. Oh, man. And uh, oh my God. And I was already not eating. I'm telling you, Sometimes the wind would push me so strong. Like it would just be like a little breeze, but I had nothing because I didn't feel anything under my belly button. That's wow. how it was, it was. But this time I just had to wait until that Friday morning. And uh man. I was the thumping was happening here. And I remember yep. passing. I know through.
1: that I know that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So
2: then I passed out. I remember throwing up and then I passed out again. And then it was like five, six in the morning. And I remember the check went through finally. I went to McDonald's and I ordered the the breakfast deluxe and the whatever. And I <laughs> ate so fast that I threw it up right outside the McDonald's. Wow. But I still had to go to work. So I went oh, straight man. to work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, just, oh my God, I tried to talk, but I didn't want to know. Oh, my God, my breath, dude. It was <laughs> <laughs> oh, It was terrible. Oh, and, my uh, God. When I finally, <laughs> I went to Harris Teeter. And I bought Hot Pockets and for the next couple of months I would eat. And one I hot bought pocket Hot Pockets. One Hot Pocket for breakfast and one Hot Pocket for dinner. And when I finally made some money, I would eat like this cheese crackers from the vending machine. Yep. And this one guy, again, it's one of those things like when these older men, like, you know, say what you want, like they, they I know they call themselves redneck, but they were good guys. Some of them, he just knew. And he, he was, he was watching me for a couple of days and he realized I wasn't eating lunch. And he yelled at me and he told me to get in his car and he was just berating me. He was like, if my old lady found out that there was this kid at the shop cause mind you at the same time too, I never told anyone at the shop that I knew JD. I wanted to earn the respect. Right. You and didn't want to, You didn't want to have a 19 year old right. working at cup shop level. Cause I, there's, there's, there's the arc level then there's the truck level. Then there's the nationwide, I think what it is now. And then there was the cup and I was already there. And, uh, I only knew people in the paid shop and they were in this way back section. And, uh, so he was braiding me and he gave me food and he could tell I was struggling cause I wasn't used to eating that much. So we gave me more food to take home. And, um, he, he told me, he was like, you know, if, if you were my kid, I would, I would have kicked your ass a long time ago. <laughs> He's like... And then I remember that day, uh, I was working, I forgot what I was doing. I did whatever they asked. Yeah, and, uh, you know, from vending machines, sweeping the floor to uh, helping royalty, helping you know marketing, and JD came out and started talking to me, and all the guys were like, and I do they were like, oh, you know, JD. I was like, yeah, but I don't care, and they were like, why don't right. you say anything? I was like, I was like, I was like, I'm not that type of person. I was like, I want to earn your respect, and they, I remember they looked, it was like, damn, it's like we, you know, put them through some stuff. And it was just crazy how that happened because I wasn't trying to do it on purpose. It was just like my upbringing was like you just got to work there's just you just no, have to do it yeah be for what you have and, and move forward and I, I didn't want to bother jd because he already did so much for me i felt <laughs> that i went that way but right um the the hot pockets man i can't even eat them now it, i to this day i know i have stomach issues because of it because and, of the hot pockets yeah <laughs> he told me and then when people found out about it like at the shop oh, it, man dude as a kid i was so stubborn and i you know, my mom always said that, you know, we're not beggars, our family's not beggars, and are not, stuff like that. So as a kid, I never saw what I was doing. The beautiful thing of moving myself 900 miles away to better my life.
1: Why did you want to move to LA? Like, what was it, an opportunity? Like, was it working up the ladder? Like, what was it about LA that that made you want to go there?
2: Um. So uh, JD Gibbs actually passed away like a month before I took the job. And I was like, I was so heartbroken. And I never thought I would work and experience New York. And then, then to survive it, not even survive, it, but like then be like, oh, I love New York. I'm never right. going to leave the friends and, and, and to make it at the NBC level. Cause I was like, man, I only knew NASCAR my whole life besides Westchester. And then, oh my God, New York so much fun. Like, cause no one ever tells you that you can do prunch in the upper East, go to the comedy cellar and then hit up a rooftop bar right across the street from the Empire State Building. An igloo, and it that was my favorite place to you know what I mean? like you could do so right. much in small amount right. of time. It was actually my dad. He was like he was like I don't know any young man at 32 years old that experiences New York and then LA and that has a has a hard time settling down. He's like you know what I mean? Like if you had to move somewhere else after that, would it bother you after you experience it? And I was like, Dad, holy shit, you're right because and it's true. Even if I like if I had to move tomorrow to Nebraska, right? Settle, down, I could do it. Because I got to experience Florida, I got to experience North Carolina twice. I got to experience Philly, New York, and LA. This this everything now is just icing on the cake. I never thought right. I'd be where I am, and I never thought I'd do what I do. I never thought, you know, my only weaknesses in my life was was Westchester, was you, Paul, Mills, because it was like you guys say, Hey Dan, I want you. It's like I want to be back with them so bad. Cause it's just like right. that was the first right. time I made friends not trying to work. Like outside of NASCAR world, it was the only time I really made good friends like that and did stuff together where I even I didn't know what was gonna happen, you know. Because NASCAR was set in stone by like the race station, I don't know what's gonna happen. That we see weekly, I'm wearing the prompter, I don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. It's kinda like, you know, but I knew you had to just kind of go with it. And I knew it was the last time to really make yourself evolve. I mean, I was in the gospel choir, hip hop dance, I did the mail pageant, I wrote I wrote, I did poetry, like i That's was like crazy, i just gotta get it all out because yeah and thank god i did and i always tell people you know whoever's listening like do whatever you can and sleep later you'll be shocked because now it's like really hard to go without yeah. Six
1: hours of sleep yeah <laughs> especially i mean tell me about it tell me about it, man.
2: <laughs> tell me about it i have no regrets besides traveling outside of the country man i never thought i'd make it this far and um when you moved i was like I, I called you but i was like dude you're doing the right thing i've yeah. been there you have the the only thing you have that i do is courtney and the kids because yeah. you'll see it because if it it's it, you'll see it, it builds character when you're outside of that comfort zone you know if you can learn i'm going to say if you can learn to be outside of that comfort zone like he used to say because like they were in football the right. quarterback there's the pocket and he used to tell me all the time like if you could play outside of that comfort zone because you're already good there you're good at both He's like, there's no telling what you could do in the world. Right. He's like, just remember when, when life hands you the opportunity and the metaphor was the football you have to take, cause you're not going to get it like other kids. It's, it's yeah. one of those things, even if it doesn't work out, which I think it will, I know it will. Yeah. yeah you'll, totally. you'll go back and be like, man, I, I did it. Like it's, it is what it is. So when,
1: when you look back at your, at your life, do you consider
2: yourself lucky I do, but if you ask my mentors, like people that literally, like I, oh man, they were like roadies. They were like, man, I'm going to be part of your life. I'm so excited to be part of it. I'm like, why? But when I came to LA, it hit me like immediately because I was like, this is icing on the cake. And they were like, no, dude, this is just who you are. It's like, I'm not shocked, man. He was like, this is just from the moment I met you as this young kid that was baggy clothes and cornrows, it was like, I was like, that kid has it. And, they were, and sometimes they'd be like, man, if I had to go up against you, I'd be in a lot of trouble. But so I think I'm just very lucky. Like if it wasn't for the race in school, if it wasn't for Penn, and then the students at Penn putting me under their wing and then JD and then paying. Oh, so when I first moved to <laughs> North Carolina, he paid for my house. The Joe Gibbs family, they paid for my house for that's a year. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. So that's why I didn't want to, like I didn't want to ask for anything. So many times people, and that was like the beauty of my life. I think that I always find romantic was that I grew up as a Puerto Rican in in the inner city. And I was so amazed that white people from Southern parts of, or from Minnesota was so invested in my life that they were like, I don't care what this kid is, his background, he's got it. and I need to be a part of his life. And then it really opened me up because there was this kid I knew that was like, he was a redneck kid and, and like, he was like right out of like stereotypes. And when I went to his room one time, he was like a huge Kobe Bryant fan. And I couldn't keep it on my face. And I remember what he says, like, yeah, everyone's quick to judge. And I looked and I was like, I'm sorry, dude. I was like, it usually it happens to me. I never thought I would do it to. To somebody was like, else. Yeah, someone else. He was like, he was like, Kobe's a guy. But like with the redneck voice, and I was like, holy crap. Like, that? I can't believe like. I learned a lot about myself through them too. And I was just so fortunate. Now that I make a good living, you know, I, I recently was diagnosed with OCD and PTSD. And it wow. makes sense. So my obsessive thoughts was was is the type of OCD I have. Luckily, you know, two thirds of people that have OCD, they're hoarders. I'm a minimalist, so I'm very fortunate there. But and then I went to talk to a the therapist and my first session with her, she goes, When's the last time you talked to your psychiatrist? I was like, um, weeks ago she was like you need to call him back uh you have ptsd and i was like how sure she was like i just like immediately and when she talked me through some of the stuff that i like do when no one's around it was it was heartbreaking because i was like i didn't know i had this stuff i i thought i kind of knew my body really well but once you go through someone i went through and i remember my mentors kind of tell me that the mental you know wear down it'll hit you but yeah I was so motivated. I just pressed it until one day I'm, I make it, I'm at my point now where I'm more like just thinking like, okay, I want to travel, see what else there is to offer. Everything's like kind of icing on the cake, you know, go back. I was going to go back for homecoming to see everybody, you know, rent a car, drive, see you and Coco, see Matt toll. See, it's like one of those things now, like, I don't think about, man, I need to prove myself in this or that because I did it. Yeah. What broke me. Uh, for the longest time was like your relationship with your dad and Matt Toll's relationship with his dad and Mike with his dad because I didn't have that like mm-hmm. I remember when you guys would leave like they would help you they would visit or they would when last day of college they would help pack up I had to take Greyhound. out. I always had to do whatever was in two luggages um, most of the times I think one time they did or my sister's husband would help me and but I, I just it was weird to me how close you guys were to to your dad. And I was like, fuck, that's something I'll never have. I need to stay strong. I need to, you know, be okay with it. And then I'm learning more. But that was the only thing really, it was like not only having that bond with you guys but then seeing how cool you were with your dad and your mom. And it's like, fuck, that's cool, man. I feel like you
1: have made something out of nothing. Like I feel people, I feel like people can say that sometimes but i feel like you really have made something out of nothing and i i think it's it's it there's something to be said for that i think i think that you know it's, it's it's i'm envious because of the way that your life has sort of progressed and the way that you have been able to take things and roll with it as compared to me who sits and stews on it for you know six years and doesn't do anything about it and just gets mad you know but like you know oh, I it, it's i, didn't get to I, I think it's it, you
2: know because it's like uh like again because the risk was like i had to move to the next thing. And like, when I left you guys, it didn't hurt until when I was there. I remember when, that's when we got together and I wasn't, it was like, it hurt so bad. I was like, I keep moving. But now I kind of enjoy things, but it sucks. Cause like right. when I, when I look back at that road that I did, it's, it's so not, not too traveled. And it's like, man, like I only have you toll mills. And like, it's, it's so like, there's a lot of crazy stuff too. Cause like, you know, NBC was great. I, at the Olympics. I did a contest and finished second, and like, wow. but like you know, oh my god, yeah, it was like a business contest, and it was like, you know, just for the moment. It was the same thing I did at Westeros. Like, you know what? I was like, let me, you know, put two and try two it, yeah, yeah, just try it because, like, but I can't believe people don't do it. Like, my, like, I used to tell you all the time, I was like, it's crazy if people just put a little bit of work ethic, you'd be surprised what could come out of it because that I happens. know, like. When I did Power 99 FM one time in in my senior year, and that's when it kind of came out that I was doing the racing stuff. And people would challenge me to races or on the you know quads or dirt bikes. It would be like yo yo, you think you're good, you think you're tough shit. I was like, man, I never said that. I always knew I was a piece of shit. We used to talk about that, like we were like pieces. No, you know, no one. We had nothing. It was like it's just a little bit of working and putting it together, and just realizing. The only thing I knew was like, man, like because of people that I would see at the park was like, there's no second chances in life. It's not like yeah. a w- NBA playoff game where you best the five. It's like nine times out of ten, there's that one shot, and once you're in, you're in. There's not okay next time you can, you can yep. do it. That's the only reason when I got where I where I got. Dude,
1: it's it's, I am always impressed by you and the things that Thanks. you have been able to do and the things that you continue to accomplish um i am so glad that you joined me on the show today and gave me the opportunity to uh, tell your story uh and i appreciate it man i appreciate your friendship and i appreciate all of the hip-hop uh conversations you indulge me in, even when you don't want to um i'm still sort of disappointed in myself that i listened to that lloyd Banks song so many times and (laughs) i I never played it for you that rick ross (laughs) disc like i cannot believe that that was i
2: remember that time you were playing cuban link and i was like wait what and yeah, then, you know i know Cuban then Link. We, yeah you we were, we were drinking the the what was it cool i was like okay i know okay this guy's and then yeah just like, you know and i was like what
1: man the terror squad was the shit dude i love that i i i am am a firm believer that that record would have put cuban link on the map, man
0: yeah
1: if things hadn't gone the way they did uh that pff, that record is outrageous that whole record is crazy man like well, we can talk about it off air because we can't really we can talk, talk about it, it all day. Yeah, no. Can't really can't, can't really wait. talk about – well, we can't really talk about Cuban and Lincoln, Fat Joe stuff on the air. I don't want to get involved <laughs> in that. But, like, yeah, Danny, thank you so much, man, for joining me. I really appreciate it, man.
2: No, thanks for having me.
0: Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Krebs. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almey. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode in our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor.